want to explain how today's sermon fits um, into the sequence of sermons that we're doing at the moment. We're looking at a series of six, and we're looking essentially about what does it mean to live a meaningful life, a good life before God? What does God ask of us? What does the life that's worthy of him look like? What's a life that makes sense look like? So the idea is this, this sort of calling, what does God ask of us and, and, and what does it mean to live well? We're looking at it under the sort of the title of fruitfulness on the front line and looking at the sense that what God calls us to be is consistent and courageous. And um, those two themes come through in six ways. So last week, we, we talked about this idea together um, that the, the fundamental thing that God does in our lives is he gives us his spirit, the, the very life of God. For those who cry out for that and go, do you know what, God? I can't do this on my own. Then God pours out his spirit and says, let me shape you. And one of the things I said last week was um, in that context of, of, of being a child, you know, that in a sense, we were dedicating um, Nicole and Rob's children last week. And it was in that context I talked about the idea that children are shaped, inevitably, by environment or genetics. And um, for many, many of us, that's really good news. But for some of us, we know that's not always been great news. But when the Spirit comes, the Spirit of God, God's very action in our lives, then what might be possible when he begins to recreate something? And some of us in the room would tell our stories about actually how God has done stuff for us so that we're not just the product of our genetic code. We're not just the product of the way we were brought up, but something kind of happened to us that changed who we were. We looked at that idea of the Spirit, and we talked about in godly character, the fruit of the Spirit. I'll remind you about that in a moment. Today, I want to talk about what does it look like to make good work, and then just to give you a, a highlight into what's coming up. We're going to look next week at ministering grace and love, and then what does it mean to change things around your way? What does it mean to stand up for truth and justice? And what does it mean to be a messenger of the gospel? And the first three, modeling godly character, being... Working well and ministering grace and love, they're about consistency. And then the second three, about changing things that you can, about taking a stand for truth and justice, about being a messenger of the gospel, or about courage. And you might remember, if you were with us last week, um, that slide. The idea that those fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, are gifts that are offered over time to us. And actually, they begin to shape the sort of person we are. It's kind of like um, the, the type of response we'll make almost in any situation. And it happens over time. It's not an instant download. But actually what happens is as you grow mature, as you get older, as you walk with Jesus, as you kind of get to know him better, something happens. And bit by bit, people, and they might not be able to put a finger on it. They might not be able to say what it is. But there's just something about you. And hopefully it's a good thing. <laughs> Nowhere is that more tested than at work. Nowhere is that more tested at work. 
But you know that, I don't know, I'm not going to ask you to put your hand up, but for some of you, do you find that at work, in work, you're the person that people come to? Yeah, you're not, you don't have a post or anything for that, but just people tend to tell you stuff. And whether you get paid or not, but you just might be the person in your area, your neighborhood, and people seem to come to tell you stuff. Why? Well, because you're a safe pair of hands. Why? Well, because just maybe, just maybe, God's shaping you in a certain way. And that kindness and the patience and the goodness that people see in you are the things that, truth be known, become very attractive. Very attractive. So what does it mean to be a Christian, this sort of Christian, in a workplace? I'll come to that in a moment. Um, some of you might have noticed, I don't know if you did know or not, um, but Hannah, unbeknownst, not, not this Hannah, the other Hannah. I know, I, I looked at you, I did, I recognised that. I, just, I looked at you, and, and it's kind of like, just to put you on the spot, really. Um, but this Hannah um, came fully dressed for this morning's sermon. Hannah, come to the front. You've already been at the front. Um, without knowing, almost prophetically, got dressed this morning, and essentially, this is the sermon. All right. I have no idea why you chose that this morning, but it's a great... I felt like I needed to wear it. Excellent. Fantastic. Um, next week's the Good Samaritan. I don't know if any of you have got a T-shirt at home with the Good Samaritan, a beaten man that's looking by the side of a road, but if you could wear that T-shirt, that would be really helpful and incredibly cool. And um, if, if during this series that could just, you know, you could just keep your eye out for what's in your wardrobe, that would be fantastic. It's not in Ian's wardrobe. <laughs> so here's the context. Work is not just something you get paid for. Work is what you offer to other people. The reason we work and the reason we offer our skills to one another is because none of us can do everything. Do you know what I mean? There's, sort of th there's areas of life that some of us are just useless at. I could not be independent of everybody else because if anything went wrong, I'd just have to live the rest of my life with it being wrong. I can't fix anything. I can't mend anything. I can't do, I put paint on backwards. I can't do anything of any significance. I need other people. So when Colin, who's putting in a, a bathroom downstairs loofers at the moment, when he comes and he seems to have this rare ability to put things, that, to make something out of something that wasn't there before. So before there was a cupboard, and now we're well on the way to having a toilet. It's remarkable. It's kind of like, because I saw the cupboard, and even the cupboard, I thought, I'm, I think we're going to be really squashed in that cupboard. But he saw something else. I need Colin. I can't live without it. And when the world works really well, what we do is we offer who we are and the gifts that we've been given, and the world works really well. And you don't need to be good at everything. One of the brilliant things of getting older is you know what you're good at and you're not ashamed of what you're bad at. Yeah? Yeah? And that's a great thing to be. When I was in my 20s and early 30s, I had four DIY books. 
And at the age of 33, Maggie said, will you just get rid of those books because they make you believe you could do it. <laughs> it's much better for me to be able to unashamedly go, I'm rubbish at that. I can do other stuff. I can't do that. And when that happens, when the world becomes like that, then actually what should happen is that everybody's affirmed because you've got a role to play. Now, for some of you, you'll get paid for that. And for others of you, you don't get paid for it. You do it and you're retired. You're in that idyllic, utopian state of being retired. And we're paying for you to be in that state. And we don't mind, but just don't go on holiday so often. It makes us <laughs> resentful. Just tell us you've not got enough money to eat, and it'll make us better about paying our taxes. For some of you, you're retired, and, and, and you don't get paid for the stuff you still offer. But the temptation of retirement might be this. That actually, because nobody pays you to do it, it makes you feel either you've got nothing to offer or the temptation is just to live for yourself now. But actually the way that God creates this world is, no, 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 keep making your contribution. Some of you don't get paid to do the work you do because you're on long-term sick. And yet in the midst of that situation, you're still able to offer who you are. It may be limited, it may not be as much as you would have wanted at one time, but you're still able to offer something. We don't want you to feel like you're just on the shelf, useless, secondhand, not fit for purpose. And some of you, you might be in a place where you think, I'm really in a rubbish job, I really wish I was somewhere else. And one day you might be, but actually in the meantime, it's kind of like, what does God want me to do right now? So because I knew it was going to be quite warm today, and because I knew that this warm room gets quite warm, I knew that at this stage, some of you would be going, this is actually quite nice because I can now just nod off, because he'll keep going for another 15 minutes, and, um, and I can just have a little bit of a sleep. So I'm going to take that away from you by asking you to, to, in groups of three, to listen to one of you speak. So not all of you get to speak, but one of you gets to speak in groups of three. To listen to these questions. What's your work? What do you offer to others? Now, so that's kind of like why I was saying all that bit before. It's not about what you get paid for. It's about what, what do you offer the world? What's your greatest joy? What's the biggest challenge? And what's your deepest hope? Now, some of you, when this sort of stuff happens in a room like this, two things go on. Firstly, you think, can I get to the toilet really quick? Because <laughs> I just need to get away from this. Secondly, um, you kind of, your mind goes blank. So what's really important, there's some people in the room who love this moment because they just talk all the time. So find those people. <laughs> and then say to them, you go first. And um, you won't have to speak. Um, so in, in sort of like twos and threes, so not masses, but in twos and threes, for about five minutes or so, would you listen? Everybody can play because everybody can listen. Not everybody will speak, but everybody can listen. You might want to stand up. You might just want to stretch your legs. You might want to sort of group together so you can hear properly. But do you understand what you're doing? Okay, you're just looking a little blank. <laughs> I mean, more than usual. Um, all right, in threes, off you go. I wonder if some of you 
um, just would be willing to uh, let us all know when we when we ask the question, "What's the biggest challenge and what's your deepest hope?" What did some of you say? Your biggest challenge and your deepest hope. What did you say? People, People. <laughs> biggest challenge, deepest hope <laughs> that they'll leave. Um, <laughs> deepest, the deepest hope was. You just, want to, you just want to work two days a week. Yeah, okay. Good luck, lads. Um, <laughs> your deepest hope, I can leave work. All right, fair enough. Some, <laughs> that's really helpful. Thanks ever so much. Someone else, what's your, your greatest cha- biggest challenge and your deepest hope? What did you say? Deepest. Ian said his biggest challenge is doing too much. Deepest hope. Okay, that there's a point that people know Jesus through your work. What else did some of you have to say? Yeah, your deepest up for your children, grandchildren. Okay, that's your and and as a great grandma, that's your that's your deepest hope for your family and the work you offer in the family. Fantastic. Someone else? Yeah. What did you say? Okay. That's Your biggest hope. Thank you. Your biggest hope is that people who are isolated and lonely might have someone that can connect with them, that can be with them. What's your deepest hope? Great. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Okay, that people who are broken, that people who are at the end of their own sort of resources, that somehow they find wholeness and completeness, yeah, and find it in Christ. So one, one or two more. Yeah, right at the back, Nadine. Yeah? Yeah, sure. <laughs> so, Nadine, what's your deepest hope about them? <laughs> that they'll be rubbish. <laughs> yeah. That they... and, you know, thanks for sharing that, because it's kind of like... It, it puts a, a finger on some of the vulnerabilities that are raised at work. Not just about maternity, but, you know, that sense of always looking over your shoulder... And um, what do people think of you? And are you matching up? And are they trying to manage you out? Or are they all those sort of things that are really real issues in the workplace? Thank you. Anybody else? The biggest challenge is, is for me is to be able to keep up with what's going on around me. Uh, I love the young people, and I, I'm, I want to be able to communicate with them, not from laid back, but yeah. you know, in today's. Yeah. Absolutely so different. And, and I love working with others. But none of them things can we do without the help of God. Yeah. We have to. And the deepest hope is just the, the scripture. I just want to be able to hear God say to me, 
Great. Yeah. Fantastic. Could you, could you take this little old lady behind you and sort of just hang out with her for a while? <laughs> and sort of introduce her to Stormzy and Skepta and the rest of them. Sort of like <laughs> do that. Deepest challenge, but the, you know, seriously, the biggest challenge about the idea of actually, I don't know, I don't want to put words into your mouth, but maybe it's something like, have I got anything of any worth to say to the next generation? It's easy, isn't it, to sort of feel that your world re- sort of gets smaller and smaller. Have you got anything of value to the next generation? So how do we make sense of all of these things? Well, the big biblical story is this. A creation where God created us and created the world around us and created it good. This world is created to work well together. And uh, the biblical story, those are that original picture of a male and a female working um, interdependently in a garden, in a king's garden, tilling the land, stewarding it, doing well, doing it with purpose. But of course, it's broken that sense of that moment where that man and that woman decided, we'll do this without God because I think, I think we'll have more control then. And it is that sort of, um, sort of the Kool-Aid moment where you think, actually, what I really want is to be able to make things work my own way. And you take the Kool-Aid and then you realize, actually, I've lost the very thing that will enable me to be fulfilled. Because I'll lose that moment, that relationship with the one who created me. And it's easy, isn't it? Because what we begin, you know, at some stage in our lives, you know, I'm just thinking about the little ones next door. The little ones grow and they find it remarkably easy in early life to think that Jesus is a friend and God's good. But there comes a moment where actually it feels like maybe God's actually trying to strip, sort of contain me. And hold me back. And I really just want to break free of that. And there's a moment where perhaps you need to go through that moment, actually. You need to work that through. But that sort of sense of finding that maybe the freedom that I longed for leads to a brokenness that I don't know what to do with. And whether you're a believer or not, Most of us actually say to one another from time to time, sometimes quite regularly, it shouldn't be like this. It shouldn't be like this. And what that little phrase suggests, whether you're a believer or not a believer in Jesus, what that suggests deeply is the world is designed to be different than the tragedy and the brokenness that we see. And the biblical story goes, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And that's why Jesus comes redemptively. And it's interesting, isn't it? When Jesus comes, and of course there's lots more we can say, but when Jesus comes, what does he do? He teaches about a different way, and he heals, and he sets people free. He heals because it's the, 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 the brokenness of a creation that's at loggerheads with its own creator. You feel that in yourself, and... Those who are ill feel separated and isolated, and even more so back then, feel disregarded, feel on the scrap heap. And Jesus goes, I've come for you. And those that are trapped 
in patterns of behavior that they don't know how to get out of, Jesus goes, I'm going to break those powers and you can be free. And ultimately, he addresses the deepest need within us, which is peace with God. With the idea being that one day all things will be restored. So what's this got to do with your work? Well, for those of us who want to live creatively with God, what is God's purpose for your job? How does your work actually fulfill God's good creation? Whether it's accountancy, whether it's mending cars, whether it's driving buses, whether it's caring for your neighbor or your family, whether it's working in a hospital, whether it's working in research, whether it's selling stuff and buying stuff, whether it's dealing with children, what is God's purpose for your job? Working at the BBC, getting children's programs on the TV. What is God's purpose? What's God's greatest design? And it's not that every sort of plastic piece of piping you put in someone's house is inscribed with God loves you. It's not a good idea. <laughs> Let me be clear. <laughs> yes. Shush. <laughs> if you've come from another church and you need a worship leader, can you talk to me afterwards? It's not about slipping a tract into every fellow work person's lunch tray. It's not a good idea. <laughs> it's actually, your work has value in and of itself to the God who created you. And when you offer it wholeheartedly, you offer it back to the God who goes, that's how creation works, folks. Now, there, there, there is a sort of like, a, in brackets, there is a danger that we think some work is specifically of value to God. So if you're dealing, with respect, if you're dealing at Patel with broken people who've got lives of addiction, then that really must matter. Whereas actually if you're doing the books for a company, that might not matter. That's the danger of thinking. But actually that's not biblical thinking. All of it matters. All of it matters. What you've got to do is remind yourself, what's God's purpose for this job? Because if you remind yourself what you're doing it, it'll stop you doing it for two reasons. Firstly, it'll stop you doing it for the money. That's the curse. Because you think, there's no point, but I'll do it for the money. And once you simply start working for the money, is the moment it starts to corrode the purpose. You need to be, you need to earn money. But that should not be the number one thing. That's why whether you volunteer or whether you get paid, whether you get paid a lot or whether you get paid not so much, actually that's not the deal. The deal is I know why this matters to God. And in the context of it, you know what's broken. What's broken about your workplace? And then redemptively, what can you do to change it? And you can't change everything. You know, if you work for the NHS, you can't change the NHS. <laughs> you work for the BBC, you can't change the BBC, but you can change what you can change. The little bit that you can do. And you go in going, this is why I have been put here. My final slide 
is the biblical text. Paul writes to a church in a place called Colossae, which is in Turkey, and he writes to a church that would have had a majority of the worshippers who would have been slaves, owned by other people. Now, it's not always, it wasn't always really bad. Sometimes it was, and sometimes they were abused, and sometimes they were misused. But for other people, being part of a household wasn't always, always bad. But most people didn't have the choices that most of us have. And it is interesting, isn't it? And again, it's just sort of like that thing of as you get older, you know, like when you're 16, perhaps, um, it feels like you can do anything. Perhaps when you're 56, you realize, actually, no, I can't because doors close. And for some of us who feel that you might be in a place that you have not chosen, you, as you read this text, have more in common with the original readers than you might imagine. For the original readers didn't have a whole stack of choice. And Paul writes to these people and he says, let me help you work out how you find meaning in life and how you find meaning in this Monday through Saturday life. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. And do it not only when their eyes on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it's the Lord Christ you're serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs. There's no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what's right and fair because you know you also have a master in heaven. Three things really, really quick. Number one, whatever you put your, your hand to, do it with all your heart because actually it's part of your worship. I met this woman in, uh, in Kendall a few years ago, and she, um, I think I may have told this story to some of you, but bear with me. She cleans houses on the shores of Lake Windermere for the posh people. And um, she was in a, a session I was doing around this text, actually, and uh, I, I asked her, as I, you kind of know I do, so what's the biggest temptation for a cleaner in the big houses in Windermere? And she said this said, number one, no one ever sees me. They just leave the money on the kitchen table for me. Make sure they're out with their instructions. And, and all I've got to do is make sure the jobs are done. She said, but what they don't know is when you've been doing this job a long time, there are ways of cutting the corners. She said, that's my biggest temptation. My biggest temptation, she said, is to resent these people and to do it as quickly as I can. She said, but when I read this, I realize that's not on. And when she left at lunchtime, and I was chatting to her as she left that room, she thanked me for what we'd done. But what she said was, I said, well, I'm glad it was helpful. She said, no, no, it was more than helpful. She said, what you've done is you've given me back my dignity. She said, because the folks I work for don't value me. But the sense that I might do it for God means that God does. 
Now, this can be misused. It can be misused in a way that tries to get the most... It's like the oppression of the poor. Except when the poor say, I've got a bigger vision than you might imagine. And then the tables are turned. Because... You say to your masters, and this is the civil rights movement, this is that whole tradition of Negro spirituals and the rest, where they say, you don't own me, I'm working for the Lord. You don't get the last word, Jesus gets the last word. I'm actually going to do it regardless of what you think of me. Because you know you're going to get an inheritance. And we can sometimes think that inheritance, that sort of final reward will be because we've done Christian stuff. Because we put texts on plastic pipes. (laughs) Or because we were working for a Christian organization. Or because we were doing the stuff in the church. But Paul didn't say any of that. What Paul says is, whatever you put your hand to, if you do it for the sake of the Lord, God will reward you. I don't know how this is going to work out. But when you get to eternity and Jesus sort of goes, do you know what? I was so thankful for the way you drove the bus. I'm going to reward you for the way you drove the number 38. I'm going to reward you for the way you did the books. I'm going to reward you for the way you put up those video walls. I'm going to reward you for the way you taught those kids. And you will say, I didn't think it was that important. And he will say, you see, you never really understood, did you, that the cup of cold water always mattered. And you'll go, ah. Because it's the Lord Christ. And whether you've got power or whether you haven't got power, it's the same. So if you've got power at work, be careful. Masters, make sure you do right by those who don't have much power. Because you've got a master. (laughs) So use your power well. What does it mean to be a Christian who's living for the sake of God? It means that tomorrow morning, it all starts again. You walk back in there again with purpose, with a sense of what God's asking of you and a sense of what you're praying that might change. That this is what God God values. All right. Let me pray for you. Maybe you just want to think for a moment about where you will be this time tomorrow. So it's 11.30. Where will you be? What will you be doing? Who will be with you? Some of you will be surrounded by people. Some of you might be on your own. Um, Some of you might be preparing to see others. Some of you might have finished work. But where will you be this time tomorrow? And if you can bring that to mind as we pray, that would be helpful. Father God, those are the places that you have placed us. Those are the contexts in which you've asked us to make our contribution to the world around us. Those are the places where we find challenge. Those are the places where we find joy. And those are the places where our deepest hopes 
come into play and we offer you our hopes as prayers that the places where we work would be healthy that they would be for the good of those around us that we as workers would offer our own lives and not simply to those people who pay our wages but we'd offer our lives to you and that that work would matter we pray for the broken places in our workplaces we pray for those contexts where people are looking over their shoulder feeling vulnerable feeling that someone might be out to replace them or displace them Lord help us to be non-anxious to be focused on you we pray for those of us who have power at work the Lord will use our power well and we'd use it so that other people would flourish and thrive so Lord make us attentive to you and aware of what you're asking of us Lord may your hand rest upon us we pray